0: Hello and a very warm welcome to Econoday Unplugged on Thursday, the 4th of May, 2023. Terry Sheehan's on the US East Coast. Max Sato is in British Columbia. Brian Jackson's in Sydney. And I'm Jeremy Hawkins in London. Well, taken together with the latest raft of central bank announcements, the recent deluge of real economy and inflation updates has given investors plenty to chew on. With a few notable exceptions, monetary authorities have been tightening policy aggressively for some time now. But. Just over the last couple of weeks or so, we've seen further increases in key interest rates in the US, the Eurozone and Australia. And indeed, the Bank of England is widely expected to follow suit next week. All of which raises the question then, is policy actually working? So in today's podcast, we'll have a go at finding out. So, Terry, let's go come to you first then. I guess what was widely expected, FOMC yesterday voted to raise rates for, what, the 10th consecutive meeting? And that not long after we heard that first quarter GDP growth had slowed to, what, just over a 1% annualised rate. Core PCE inflation in April equaled its lowest level since October 2021. So and we've now got what the funds rate target above 5% for the first time since 2007. So is policy working or not? And, and if there's a yes to that, might this be it for the current tightening cycle?
1: Uh, well, I think it is yes. And I think it is also um, an end to the current tightening cycle. Although Care Powell clearly signaled that the FOMC is willing to lift rates further if they think they need to, uh, but we are seeing the kind of numbers that seem to be consistent with Fed forecasts of uh, slower growth in the first quarter. we still got what Powell calls a very tight labor market, um, so we're not seeing high levels on unemployment, but we are seeing. Uh, reductions in several different measures of inflation and altogether, it suggests that things are moving in the direction that the fed has wanted them to go so at the moment uh, i won't say the u.s economy is looking great because it isn't but uh, it looks like 500 basis points worth of rate hikes have caused Policy to be restrictive enough to have an impact on inflation, um, but it hasn't entirely derailed economic growth yet. So things pretty good for the Fed at the mm-hmm. moment.
0: OK, can I, well, a couple of things I'll ask you on that. Um, I think Mr Powell sort of noted that, that you know, looking at some softening in the sort of more interest rate sensitive sectors of the economy, such as housing mm-hmm. and business investment, which I guess is fine, although clearly reduced investment could actually reduce you know, output, which at the end of the day may not be what they want to see. But is he seeing the kind of indications that perhaps you need in more, you know, the likes of consumer demand, which could actually help to reduce price pressures?
1: Uh, consumer spending was actually stronger than expected in the first quarter, uh, and we're seeing the diverse uh, reports for April, which are also suggesting things like um, motor vehicle purchases were way up in April. So um, we are seeing consumer spending, at least tentatively, looking pretty strong at the beginning of the second quarter.
0: And what did he say about the labor market? I mean, clearly, actually, on, on every podcast, you're chipping about the latest developments with the uh, US employment market. And by and large, it's been a case of pretty well uniformly strong numbers for, for an awful lot of months now. So it's we got the, the next set of employment data obviously coming out on friday Tomorrow is record this what's expected there and and do you think that given, given that perhaps the market's now thinking such as you're talking about that interest rates have possibly peaked anyway? don't know yet, clearly, but might have peaked anyway w- were we to get another strong set of figures coming out tomorrow that it could sort of really really rock the boat a bit I don't
1: think it could um you know right now the Conaday consensus is for up 178,000 on non farm mm-hmm. Um Just, you know, that's close enough to the, the 200,000 mark that seems to be sort of um, the uh, point at which, you know, we would say that job growth is kind of normalizing. Uh, this is what called a very tight labor market. We're still looking at a very low rate of unemployment in historical terms. Um, some sectors are struggling more than others. Um, manufacturing payrolls seem to be weakening. Uh, we've had a lot of layoffs in technology. Uh, retail sector is seeing uh, some closures of a few major chains, like over here, it's Bed Bath & Beyond. Uh, But uh, firing in areas like leisure and hospitality are clearly ramping up for the summer months. So um, it's actually a pretty good labor market right now. And the other thing is that we've now got evidence that small businesses are finally beginning to find the workers they need for their unfilled jobs. So it means to some extent that the, the reductions in wage pressures have now made them Able to compete more for the available workers, some of whom have been laid off in the last couple of months.
0: Okay, interesting. Right, let me just come at this quickly from a slightly different angle. Um, Money supply growth. Now, I guess not too many central banks pay a great deal of attention to that these days, but I mean your M two figure is what, running about a minus four percent year on year annual rate now. Is that a concern? Because if remember rightly it's kind of you know, the weakest numbers we've seen, well, apart perhaps from some of the you know the COVID distortions, um, since the Great Depression. So, um, is the Fed make any reference to the fact that money supply is well pretty well falling out of bed at the moment?
1: Uh, they are not talking about it at all.
0: Why do you think that might be?
1: Well, um, I think partly because they're not targeting the money supply right have. now. Um, and, uh, you know, they're still dealing with a lot of disruptions, the after effects of uh, the pandemic. So mm-hmm. um, I, I think it's just, you know, they don't see it as, the best way to um, convey what they want to do with monetary policy.
0: Okay. Fair enough. It's hard to find a central bank, which puts too much faith in money supply at the moment. One last question I would like like to ask you before we move on, Um, banking sector. Clearly, we've had a number of wobbles, and Steve, we've still got some going on uh, US banking sector side and indeed globally as well. Um, do you think the recent problems we've had there had any kind of impact on the Fed's decision yesterday? And indeed, is it something they're worried about anyway? Uh,
1: well, I think they are definitely on heightened alert as far as the health of the banking sector goes. Um, I think they are you know, trying to get ahead of any other banks. Uh, Failing um, due to a lack of supervision and, and proper regulation, uh, but they they have set up um, a special lending facility um, to help smooth out some of the problems in the banking sector. We are seeing more uh, borrowing from the discount window, the primary at the primary mm-hmm. credit rate. Uh, so you know they are ensuring that there there is Credit available to these banks so that they can get their problems under control. And uh, there were a lot of questions yesterday to Powell about the health of the banking sector. Right. And he, you know, stuck to the the party line that it that it's a solid and resilient banking system with relatively minor problems right now that are being uh, addressed. So. Uh, but he also was very clear that it's caused tighter credit conditions, and this is going to weigh on the economy. So I do think it it was part of their decision, um, not so much in terms of whether they were going to do 25 basis points or not, but in terms of being ready to uh, at least slow down on looking for future rate hikes. And they're, they're you know although the statement itself was hawkish and how was clear that they were willing to continue to raise rates uh, it really is that looking like they're ready to pause right now because they're they have cr- tighter credit conditions partly because of the situation with the banking sector and they have the classic long and variable lags um, mm-hmm. yet to show up from past rate hype. so I, I think they're just you know, it, it's time to, to at least pause. And I think we may well have seen the top of the current rates cycle.
0: OK, watch your space, they say. Any else you would like to put into the old pot before we move on? No, thank you. OK, brilliant. Many thanks for that, Terry. Right, Max, let's move across to you then. Um, I guess when you look around the central banking community, the Bank of Canada can say perhaps more than money that policy is working relatively well. well. But no change in interest rates since January. Inflation's coming down. The economy is still, stamp- still expanding. So do you think they're actually sort of manoeuvring themselves to achieve the proverbial soft landing?
2: Uh, I think so. Uh, but uh if you listen to the governor's speech in Q&A and press conference today,
3: mm-hmm.
2: there is a, a slight concern about the uh, um, possible over-tightening, not from their own um, uh, interest rate hike uh, hikes, uh, series of hikes last year, but from um, kind of automatic tightening from the financial industry stress. He's saying, um, uh, Governor McLean's saying that, um, the spillover effects from the US and Europe uh, to the Canadian banking system, um, uh, the the impact is muted, but uh, he still thinks the banking sector has to adjust to high interest rates. And if um, the the global uh, financial uh, stress becomes worse, then, um, they might see an unwanted uh, over tightening, but at this point in time, he's saying the interest rates are high enough to uh, to slow the economy. Uh, I think the stickiest point is the stickiness of the uh, service prices, both um, the U.S. and Canada. So um, I think they're a little bit concerned, but comfortably in pausing mode, on condition the inflation is going to come down from now from eight to four but it has to come down to three and then finally to two and the uh, governor has been saying the path uh, from three to two is going to be more
0: difficult. Yeah and I'm sure that's true for a lot of central banks as well but presumably given what you've been saying the idea of any kind of interest rate cut out in the Bank of the Canada at this stage is an absolute non-starter.
2: Yeah uh, the, 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 their point has been really clear um, Today, too, uh, the governor said that it is too early to be even talking about it. And um, um, I'm just looking for the direct quote. Uh, But right now, he said, we've been very clear that we're pausing to assess whether interest rates are high enough to get us back to the target. And that doesn't sound like a conversation about cutting, does it? So um, I think. in the financial market um, community, um, the majority is, I think, is still looking at uh, um, pausing until the end of the year.
0: Okay, fair enough. So far, so good for Canada. Then. Let's move across to Japan, where, of course, interest rates remain as low as ever. But we've got core inflation accelerating now. Well, I think we've had 10 straight gains. Um, April, if I remember rightly, was a high since December 1981. Inflation expectations seem to be climbing, too. So do you think keeping interest rates as low and for as long as the Bank of Japan has could actually be stoking up some inflation problems further out?
2: Um i don't see a, a huge risk there in in north america um the central banks want bad news uh for for their own policy uh mm-hmm. um, conduct uh, but in japan good news is still good news you know more jobs uh tight labor market um and then um uh, resilient to consumer spending. And the potential um, uh, demand for business investment and equipment is still high. Um, so uh, the, the point here is, I think, you know, if you're coming from the US or Canada or the rest of the world in major economies, um, if the central, if your central bank um, raises interest rates, then uh, it's going to be harder to borrow money or your uh, debt repayment will go up. But in Japan. The interest rates have been so low, and it's not like if you cut interest rates and keep it low, people are going to start borrowing money and um, buying homes and buying new cars. It's not like that. Um, The consumers have been very careful because real wages are still falling, and business have been, they've learned uh, during the downtime that the uh, easiest way to uh, show profits uh, for the shareholders is to cut costs and keep the costs down. So um, I don't think they have really come out of that uh, cycle yet or mindset. And But then because of this huge uh, spike in food prices, uh, fresh and processed and durable goods, um, companies are actually uh, either giving uh, one-off benefits to workers to keep them with them, um, or actually raising the base uh, wages. So the, the point is, it, it maybe uh, this fiscal year may be better, much better in terms of wage wages for workers. But is it going to be uh, sustainable? That's that's what the assembly Bank people are looking at.
0: All right, fair enough. Let me just ask you about, because we, we've been so used to uh, Japanese interest rates being so low for so long now, I wonder, do you think there's a danger that, you know, the mindset has become now that, well, Japanese interest rates never move, effectively you've got a negative interest rate which could well be seemingly round forever. Do you think there's a risk that, if we look across to somewhere like, you know, Switzerland, we had the Swiss National Bank, which was pegging its currency against the euro, effectively put a floor under under, under it um, for the best part of three years, and it basically, people were Behind the Swiss franc and they had to simply give up on it. And the Swiss franc actually took off and appreciated over 20, almost 30 percent in the space of a a couple of weeks or so. Do you think it was a building risk now that as and when, when presumably at some point we will get to the stage where the BOJ simply says, "Okay, we have had enough of the current yield curve control levels, we're going to have to start tightening policy. It could lead to a really big move into the end that the BOJ, Ministry of Finance, wherever it might want to be, simply wouldn't want to see.
2: Uh, Are you talking about a possible reversal of the dollar yen and we're going to see a high yen again?
0: Yeah, exactly that. A big move into the yen out of dollars, presumably euros, perhaps in every other currency as well.
2: Yeah, that's always the risk because uh, no central bank or government can control the exchange rates once people think it's time to buy. Uh, Mm -hmm. So uh, that's always a risk. But at this point, uh, if you take a look at the dollar yen rate, it is still relatively weak although um, if, you, if you take a look at the, uh, uh, the outlook for the rest of the year, uh, it's not gonna be as uh, weak as uh, last year. So uh, that's probably good on the uh, inflation front. Uh, import costs are not gonna be so high compared to yearly uh, levels. Um, but when it, when it comes to policy making, Um, I think, my guess is, they're going to be doing kind of a stealth tightening, expanding the uh, long-term yield um, band range slightly wider, and also maybe uh, they will uh, uh, stop the um, negative interest rate on the short-term rate, and that will actually, it could actually uh, flatten the yield curve. um the the only problem with the yield curve formation is um 10 years okay but mid-range is a little bit too high so uh at some point they have to give up on the yield curve control which is kind of a legacy from the days days uh, but if you do that right now as you said um, they could risk a huge reversal and that's not what they want to see
0: Okay, I guess from what you're saying, they actually you you would appear to think that the BOJ finance minister have actually handled things pretty well as far as Japan's concerned. So if you were to give them a mark out of ten for how effective policy has been so far, what would you give them?
2: Uh, I would say in the middle middle of the road five. All right, I'll um, Just add something. Um, yeah, please do. You know, um, what what really concerns Japan, especially monetary fin uh, sorry Ministry of Finance people was the um they didn't have enough cash to intervene to protect the yen mm-hmm. and they did intervene in the past to uh, um sell uh, uh the, the US dollar and buy yen uh but that was uh that was effective because the 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 Fed uh the uh, the Treasury joined too but uh so when it comes to defending the yen I'm uh, sorry not defending uh stopping the yen from going too high they have a um, um, lot of cash. Basically, they can print yen as much as they want. As yeah. as so that's yeah. that. That the, the defending side, when it comes to uh, currency
0: control, may not be so bad. Yeah, fair point. Very fair point. Okay, great. Thank you very much for that, Max. Right, let's move across then to Mr. Jackson and Brian. Um, I guess much yes. like it. Japanese neighbor inflation in China has not been a problem for the the PBOC whereas the economic slowdown has first quarter GDP I think correct if i say we beat expectations but there still seems to be quite a few doubts about the economic outlook for 2023 so what are your thoughts on how policy is managing the post-COVID economic recovery and, and where do you think it goes from here?
3: Yeah, I mean it, it's quite out of sync with uh, you know most of the rest of the region, let alone other parts of the world in terms of of where they are yeah. with policy. Um, you know, as we know, uh, they they weren't really um, uh, providing fiscal and monetary stimulus throughout 2022. They were uh, going the opposite way, not using uh, monetary or fiscal policy, but using public uh, health policy really to to uh clamped down on the economy with the tight restrictions that we saw you know right up until the end of last year
1: mm-hmm.
2: so
3: a very different uh set of circumstances um and you know and so where we are now is quite a different uh uh place to be compared with most other parts of the, of of the region so i think what we we saw was you know obviously at the end of last year they uh relaxed all those uh, covid restrictions that they had in place and we got a bit of a sugar hit in, in the first couple of months. We, you know, there was some pent-up demand. Uh, there was a, a bit of a, a, a sort of mini-recovery in the first couple of months. That was complicated by Chinese New Year, but um, we definitely saw some improvement. But now, now it seems to have settled back down again. If you look at the PMI numbers, if you look at those um, official numbers that we had a couple of weeks ago, um, yeah, it seems to still be sort of quite <laughs> suggestions. Uh, for for the time being, not not disastrously so. Um, you know, I don't think they're, um, you know, it's panic stations yet, but you know, we're not seeing um, you know, a, a really strong sustained recovery in, in some of those indicators.
0: Higher interest rates in uh, China, then I guess, is still very much a non-starter for now. Yeah, that's
3: not that's not really on the agenda. I mean, um, you know, just just a few weeks ago, uh, you know, we, we had uh, a little tweaking with uh, reserve requirements for banks. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, if anything, that's still the bias at the moment. Um, uh, yeah, I don't think they're they're looking for drastic changes in either direction. But uh, you know, they're not having the same pressure as other. Uh, countries in the region in terms of dealing with inflation. Um, Even the the PMI numbers that we had this week um, have sort of shown a a bit of a a moderation in some of the price pressures. So, yeah, it's, it's, um, I think, a reasonably steady course for the time being, but if anything, trying to get um, those activity numbers up.
0: Fair enough. Right, let's move to your immediate part of the world then. Um, so, I guess one of the, you know, the RBA is one of the most interesting central banks at the moment in a sense that it clearly picked up a lot of flack for its failure to control inflation. Not that it was loaned in that by any means, but uh, and it seems if the way in which policy is going to be set in the future might well change. But before, just before we get there, um, just when it seemed that we, you know we're getting close to or perhaps the at the peak to interest rates the rba this week decided to surprise at least most people in the market with another 25 basis point hike so what's going on
3: yeah I, I just think we're we're in a sort of uncharted territory at the moment it's not really i don't think anything's on autopilot and you know obviously uh for for many for for large parts of time yeah you, know, you, you know that policy's either on hold for, for a long time or they're on a tightening or, or loosening cycle and you can sort of predict with a fair bit of confidence you know what's happening over the next uh, you know at least few months but yeah we're sort of not in that in that uh in that territory right now it's it's quite uh fluid the situation and yeah i don't think we can just uh, assume that we know what's going to happen next month uh there's going to be a lot of data dependency and uh just a lot of uh attention particularly given to what the rba is doing with its forecast later later on today just in a few hours from now we'll actually have their quarterly uh, update on on the outlook, so that will be interesting to see if there's any change in the trajectory of inflation that they they think we're going to see. At the moment, um, you know, for, for some time now they've been saying, okay, inflation is 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 going to start falling, but it's still going to be another two years from now before it's at the top of our two uh, to three percent inflation target range. So. Um, You know, they're they're not predicting that this problem is going to be uh, fixed anytime soon. So, you know, with that um, forecast in in place, yeah, there still could be some more policy moves if if they think inflation is not falling uh, quickly enough
0: going forward. Okay well in terms of policy moves, as I mentioned, it looks as if understand proposals have been put forward anyway to to make some if you like sort of structural adjustments to where the RBA board works um, Perhaps yeah. if you just quickly fill us in on that and, and give us any thoughts about what you think it might mean for the way policy is going to work going forward Well probably
3: the headline um, you know of, of that report is that they, they still insist that uh, the RBA's independence is going to be maintained, so that's you know probably the main thing to right. to bet. Bear- so there's no suggestion that uh, you know we're going to have a return to you know the government you know, pulling the strings on interest rates. But you know there the, there has been um, you know concerns and, and criticisms about how the RBA has has conducted monetary policy in the last couple of years. One of the the issues that you do find is that. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of the people on the board, you know, they have some outside members on the board and they tend to be, uh, you know, business people who have a lot of experience in, um, you know, running a big business. And, uh, and so they sort of get invited onto the board to uh, have that expertise, but they're not necessarily, you know, people with a PhD in economics who uh, can sort of run through all the models and, uh, you know, predict, uh, you know, interest rates and, you know, inflation and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's this idea that, there's not enough uh, economic expertise on the board and that they sometimes just go along with what the, what what the staff tell them to do? You know, you know, Governor Lau has has, has sort of come and say, no, that's not how it works, but that's sort of the perception. So what they want to do is um, change the composition of these external members uh, going forward and and make it more, you know, very much people who have an expertise in economics. Uh, Apart from that, you know, the, the, the other change is to reduce the number of meetings each year from 12, or sorry, 11, down to eight, uh, and that's uh, to you know to give people uh, a bit more time to actually think about things between meetings right. and to have a little bit more deliberation. That's that's the stated idea behind that suggestion, uh, and also to um, split the management a little bit. So at the moment we've got a board that deals with monetary policy, but also deals with sort of more governance issues relating to the bank. So they want to split those two roles out specifically and just have a board that's specifically
0: uh, focusing on monetary policy. Okay, very much like the Bank of England. Can I check, though? But the idea is that they will be retaining existing inflation target. Is that right? Yes.
3: But also going forward to uh, having a, a specific growth employment objective as well.
0: When we say specific, I mean, is it going to be a vague type thing or is it going to be kind of like the Fed whereby, whereby you're supposed to basically do whatever you can to try and you know, get the employment numbers to be as strong as they can be without jeopardizing your inflation numbers?
3: Yeah, I, I think it's not going to be, you know, they're not going to nail down you know, a very specific uh, growth or, or employment objective, but just bear, you know, having that as an objective of making sure that, um, you know, policy is set to deliver both price stability and, uh, you know, strong uh, economic growth. Okay interesting stuff, anything else you'd like to put in from your part of the world well uh yeah I, I think just the, the the main point to note about you know the what what you're saying at the start of the of the podcast is that um, there's quite a, a a bit of variation in what's going on across the region right now it's not sort of one size fits all um, we, we don't really see all the central banks in the region in sync, you know obviously as we just mentioned china they're not looking to really tighten policy. Australia they they paused for a month and then they resumed um, South Korea they've paused for a couple of months uh, India they uh, paused last month but you know who knows if they'll continue to to keep policy on hold New Zealand has just been steadily going uh you know hiking throughout this whole period they they haven't sort of shown any, any indication to, to to pause yet as well so right across the region there's quite a bit of um, you know variation and volatility in and how central bankers are responding to uh, the data. So it's it's quite interesting. And, um, you know, I think it's just really highlights that we, we need to keep a close look on the on the incoming data for all these countries.
0: Very truly said. Excellent. OK, great. Thanks for that, Brian. Um, OK, let's quickly uh, whiz across through to Europe then. Um, well, I guess in Europe with most people, at least outside of the ECB anyway, would have accepted that the, the central bank was far too slow to start raising interest rates and that's one reason why we saw another hike coming through today, albeit only 25 basis points and that's down from what we've seen in the, the previous tightenings. Um, that increases means that the, uh, the tightening since last July when they began to push interest rates is up to some 375 basis points, which by ECB standards is one heck of amount of tightening. It also means that the, the key deposit rate uh, matches the highest number we've seen since, what, May 2001. Um, from what we understand today, it looks as if some of the, the governing council hawks actually wanted to see another 50 basis point hike, as we saw in the, the previous three meetings. So although some people have taken a view that, well, look, they've cut from 50 basis point increases, 25 basis points, this is the start of you know, possibly the, the top end of the, of the interest rate cycle uh it's certainly far from guaranteed and indeed the fact that they made some slight adjustments to their quantitative tightening program they'll be um, ending their partial reinvestment of maturing assets under the asset purchase program as of july time um that kind of seems to me that they might well have had to have been forced to put that forward just to keep the more hawkish members of the ecb uh content or at least willing to to go along with just a twenty five basis point increase so <clears throat> Excuse me. Nonetheless, um, it is uh, say, the smallest increase we've seen out of the ECB for some time, and it will inevitably, following the likes of Fed, have markets uh, believing that if, uh, the top end uh, interest rates may not be too far away, which brings us back to the original question. I mean, is policy actually working now? Well, I guess in terms of when we look at the inflation numbers, they're still miles above where they should be. Uh, the the April figures showed a headline rate up at not uh, sorry, at 7.0 percent. Uh, so that's what some five percentage points above the, the 2% target. The core rate still running, the narrow core rate at 5.6%. So overall, the big picture on inflation is still Uh, far, far beyond what the central bank would want to see. And indeed, in her press conference um, after today's uh, policy statement, President Lagarde was still warning that bottom line, uh, inflation still offers substantial risk, to quote her. So it's certainly far from killer interest rates here have topped out. In terms of the economy, well, I suppose where we can say that to the extent that uh, that they're looking to try and dampen down economic growth, where it is showing through, it's coming through in the uh, financial data, uh, annual growth of private sector lending is now what fall in three of the last four months uh, indeed uh, growth in March was at the weakest uh, annual growth was the weakest since November 2021 the bank's own first quarter lending survey found further sharp declines in both loan demand that going to households and going to non-financial corporations and indeed uh, banks are expecting a further tightening of credit and a further fall in loan demand once we get into the current quarter so all the which should of course help to reduce inflation in due course, but from where we stand at the moment, there's clearly some way to go. So, I guess the big picture of the ECB at the moment is that they're they're hoping, I suspect, rather more than expecting at the moment that we will see some kind of decline coming through in underlying inflation measures. But you look around what's going on, it kind of seems to me that these core rates are going to remain high and certainly sticky anyway for some while to come yet. So, near-term risks, at least as far as the ECB is concerned, I think, that we'll see Interest rates having to go higher. And, so, and part and parcel of that is very much the fact that they really were rather late in actually starting the tightening process in the first place. In terms of the uh, the UK, of course, we'll get the Bank of England meeting next week. As mentioned in the intro, um, they're widely expected to come out and increase interest rates again, probably by 25 basis points. Not a done deal yet. But is policy actually working over here. Well, if it is, I guess it's not doing a great job because we've had what 11 successive increases in bank rates so far, totaling 415 basis points. And yet we still got inflation as of March up in double digits. It's at 10.1%. And even the core rate, that's up at 6.2%. That's just a couple of ticks short of the 30-year high we saw uh, last October time. Wage growth still too is far too high. have got a headline rate of only just shy of 6%. Um, but it's interesting. The bank now is, it's almost, well, let's say it smacks of desperation, but is coming out with various metrics of how to try and look at what's going on in with the wages market. And they now seem to be talking more about looking at three monthly changes in wages. And certainly if you do look at that, there are some at least tentative signs that the peak to wage growth may be, that may, may have been passed, but that's far from guaranteed. Um, but whatever you can say about wages, the bottom line is that at this stage anyway, the labour market, if indeed it is loosening, is only doing so extremely slowly. So basically, I think for the B there's still more work to do. Where um, policy has certainly hit the economy, though, a bit like as we're seeing in continental Europe, is in the financial data. M4 is no longer a targeted variable over here, but the bank does still look at it, and particularly the credit components of that. Uh, we saw another contraction in the broad money aggregate um, in March time, and that indeed was its fourth decline in the last five months. So annual growth there now is just 0.4 percent. It's weakest since, uh, what, December 2015. And within that, the lending component was again a key factor. So another, we've seen what, third fall and third decline in many months there coming through in overall M4 lending. Yearly growth stands at just minus 1.1%. So a bit like the States in many ways, the financial variables was now very much seem to be responding to the interest rate tightening we've had so far. So do we expect another interest rate hike out of the Bank of England, even though we're going to see almost another split boat next week. Also, I should just mention for next week, we will get a whole wodge of UK numbers, uh, which will give us a better feel to what's going on. These will include the uh, provisional estimate of first quarter GDP, alongside the likes of industrial production and trade numbers. So they will be important for the bank to give it a better feeling about what's actually happening at the moment. But in general, it's safe to say that for certainly Europe in general, central banks at the moment, their focus remains very much on what's happening, of course, to inflation, but also what's happening into the labour market in general. OK, then, um, I guess that's probably enough for us for today. So let's wrap it up there. Um, in sum, what can we say? Well, I mean, there are clearly signs in some parts of the world that monetary tightening is having its default, desired effect. And, and bear in mind, of course, as uh, as Abraham was saying earlier on, um, that many, for many central banks, say uh, see the peak effect of higher interest rates not being felt for what the best part of perhaps a year and a half or so which means that much of the impact of the hikes we've seen to date is still to be realised in the actual data. It is interesting just looking at what um, Hugh Pill, he's the uh, Bank of England's chief economist, said last month that one of the big problems for policymakers is that the economic models currently being used to make the inflation forecast upon which, of course, so many central bank decisions are made. They're estimated on data that didn't include the, the huge shocks caused by Covid and the war in Ukraine and the like. And as such, of course, are only of limited use. So it's all the harder at the moment for central banks to know what's going on. Uh, the numbers are very volatile. And Brian was saying this, so it means, simply means you've got to keep an eye on the data. And with that in mind, of course, since the data are still the most important tools you've got at the moment, um, it may make economic forecasting even more of a lottery, but do keep up to date with what's going on in the actuals. So all the key market moving statistics and events in, ECO, in day's global economic calendar. And with that, I'm Arthur Terry, Max, Braun, and me. Thanks, as always, for listening. We hope to see you next time. Bye for now.